The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Kendra Klein. She is a senior staff scientist at Friends of the Earth, a nonprofit that works to create a more healthy and just world with offices in both Washington, D.C. and Berkeley, California. Dr. Klein is a writer, researcher, and advocate with expertise in food and agriculture, sustainability, and public health. At Friends of the Earth, she leads work on pesticides and the harms of industrial agriculture, as well as the benefits of organic and agroecological solutions. Prior to joining Friends of the Earth, Dr. Klein worked on environmental health campaigns at Healthcare Without Harm and Breast Cancer Action. She has taught at UC Berkeley and San Francisco State University, and she has apprenticed on organic farms in Hawaii and California. Her work has been published in The Guardian, The Nation, Gastronomica, Civil Eats, and Food Tank, as well as numerous peer-reviewed journals. She received her PhD in Environmental Science, Policy, and Management from UC Berkeley. Welcome, Kendra. Thank you so much, Melinda. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too, because I want to dive into an article, a recent article on which you are a co-author. It's a new study published in the Journal of Environmental Research, and it shows that a switch to an organic diet can significantly reduce urinary levels of glyphosate in both children and adults. Tell me, how and why did you get involved with this research? This study is actually a companion study to one that came out last year in the same journal, Environmental Research. And we were interested both in understanding people's exposure to pesticides on a conventional diet and how switching to an organic diet might reduce exposure. And what we found is across the board, all the pesticides we tested for dropped rapidly and dramatically on an organic diet. Interesting. So what I also thought was important to pull out of this study is the fact that there's a difference between children and adults. So from a body weight perspective and a metabolic perspective, children are more vulnerable to the effects of pesticides, especially as their bodies are developing. Let's talk about some of those differences. What would you like our listeners to know about what you found in this study and why children in particular are so especially vulnerable? This newer study on glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, which many of us probably have in our garages or even under the sink, is the most widely used weed killer in the world. In fact, it's the most widely used agrochemical in the history of the world. So it's no surprise that we found it in all of the people in our study. That said, we have very little understanding of exposure. The Centers for Disease Control don't test for glyphosate in our bodies as they do with most commonly used pesticides. And so this type of finding that children's levels were five times higher than adults is new information. 
there's not enough research really helping us understand exposure and differences in exposure. So we found that children had higher levels, and our study can't answer why that is, but some reasons could be because children are eating more of the certain foods that have higher levels of glyphosate in them, and that would be oat-based cereals, granola bars, dried beans, so things like hummus have very high levels because glyphosate is used right before harvest on those crops to dry the crops down uniformly. But then there's not enough time for that to break down before it's turned into food and packaged and given to us and our children. Another reason might be children could be less efficient at excreting glyphosate. We haven't done that research, but we do have research on another type of pesticides called organophosphates showing that children can be less efficient at getting rid of those pesticides in their bodies. So that might be happening. And why it's so concerning that children are widely exposed to glyphosate and other pesticides just from their daily diets is because we know that small exposures matter. And we know that children's bodies and babies and babies in utero, their bodies are rapidly developing, and so small exposures can have large and lifetime impacts. Mm -hmm. And we also know that the pesticides we're using commonly are associated with a whole range of health problems, including neurodevelopmental problems. And so if we're thinking about children's developing brains, we need to be particularly concerned about pesticides that are linked to neurotoxicity, mm-hmm. as well as so many other health harms. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad you brought up all the ways that glyphosate enters our food and bodies, because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. I know that as a dietitian, many times at our conferences, we will have presenters or information from the industry And the message is always, well, you know, farmers need this. We have to have these chemicals in order to feed the world. But what we're finding is that, and I'm sure you experienced this as well, working on organic farms, organic agriculture can feed the world very well. And we are not doing full cost accounting when we talk about the cost of these herbicides and how maybe they're benefiting a farmer without talking about the cost of the diseases that come with them. Absolutely. So why it's so egregious that we accept as normal that our food has residues of toxic pesticides is because we have a very real solution. And we now have four decades of research that show us that organic and other ecological approaches to farming work, and they can indeed feed a growing world population. The whole idea of, quote, feeding the world and that U.S. farmers are accomplishing that is really a myth, and it's one that is pushed by the pesticide industry very purposefully. We did a report a number of years ago with U.S. Right to Know and Real Food Media looking at the tens of millions of dollars that the pesticide industry spends to purposely mislead the public and legislators. And that idea of feeding the world is really one that is powerful in the mind of the public. 
But what we need to understand is if we want to feed all people now and into the future, we need to rapidly shift away from pesticide-intensive agriculture towards organic and ecological methods because that pesticide-intensive agriculture is actually sawing off the branch we're sitting on. We are harming the soil, the pollinators and other biodiversity, the clean water, even the climate that we need to continue to grow food into the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to make sure our listeners know that the Friends of the Earth website has wonderful resources and information to back up everything you're saying, including an extremely important look at how agriculture impacts climate change. And so even in the middle of the COVID pandemic and the horrors that this is putting into our lives with so much illness and death, we also still have climate change. And so we're seeing in certain parts of the country where we have hurricane damage, that that just compounds the public health problem. So being able to link agriculture and the way we feed ourselves to climate, I think, is a really important body of work that Friends of the Earth does as well. There is a growing set of research showing us that organic and ecological methods are important on two fronts of climate change. First, they contribute far less greenhouse gases, use less energy, so they are not causing climate change as readily as pesticide-intensive agriculture, but they're also helping farmers adapt. So organic farms do better in times of drought and flood, and that's because they have healthy living soil that can both absorb water and retain it. So farmers who need more solutions to cope with what will be increasing climate chaos need this information and they need the support to shift to ecological farming methods in order to cope. Yeah, everything is connected. And that's what I love about the Friends of the Earth work is that the website is very consumer friendly and it helps people make sense of all of this. I want to go back to this study for a moment because there are a couple of things that you said that I think really bear diving into a little bit more. You know, you mentioned things like hummus, and you think, well, how would hummus have glyphosate? And you mentioned the fact that Roundup or glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup, that this chemical is used as a desiccant. And I have been in grocery stores or with groups of consumers, and they always scratch their head and they say, how could somebody find glyphosate in something that's labeled non-GMO? And this is one of my pet peeves because the non-GMO label, while organic is non-GMO, non-GMO is not necessarily organic. So if you're buying non-GMO bread, we don't really have genetically engineered wheat. First of all, I know there are also things like non-GMO nuts, but there aren't any genetically engineered nuts on the market. So it's very confusing for consumers. But the average person on the street may see this report and say, how do kids get so much glyphosate in their urine? And you go back and you say, well, they're eating bread, but the mom is careful to buy non-GMO bread. How is it possible that they would end up with glyphosate in their bodies? And that's because the wheat is sprayed with Roundup as a desiccant before harvest, as you explained. That's exactly true. The non-GMO label says nothing about pesticide use. So if Parents are concerned about their children's exposure to pesticides as well as their own. 
they need to be looking for the organic label. And I think people don't always understand that the organic label is very robust and it's backed by a federal law. And so farmers or anyone along the supply chain who's not abiding by the legal definition of organic, there are consequences for that. So it really, it's another reason why we were motivated to do this study is because we feel that people need to understand the value of organic. And studies like this really help people to do that. We also looked for families who are willing to tell their stories, their personal stories, because we know that people's minds are changed not only by good facts, but also by stories of people they can relate to. And so we have a video at organicforall.org and pictures of those families, and people can hopefully relate to that. But I think that really your point about the non-GMO label is so important for people to understand. If they want non-GMO and they want food that's grown without toxic pesticides, then they want organic. Yeah, exactly. And I've noticed, too, where some farmers will say, I try to practice organic practices on my farm. I try to use organic practices on my farm. And they'll say to consumers, you know, I use non-GMO feed. But when I talk to the feed sellers and I say, does the non-GMO feed have pesticide use, you know, in producing it? They say, oh, yeah, without a doubt. So I think your point that non-GMO does not say anything about pesticides is really important to understand. Kendra, we need to take one break because we're halfway through. I need to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Dr. Kendra Klein. She is a senior staff scientist at Friends of the Earth, a nonprofit that works to create a more healthy and just world. She is based in California, but they also have offices in Washington, D.C. There's a wonderful website. We'll provide that as well as a link to the study that we're talking about. And I want to go back to another thing you brought up with regard to a highlight of this study, and that is you've got four families that are study participants, and they are from all over the country. And there was a dietary intake accounting, and then there was also urinary measures of glyphosate residues. How soon did you see a drop in glyphosate in urine after the switch was made from the conventional diet to the organic one? We saw an immediate drop. It really, within two or three days, that glyphosate had dropped down to a baseline of about 70% lower than the levels that we found during the conventional phase. And the companion study that we published last year, which I'm, I'm going to do the alphabet soup of pesticides here, we also tested for organophosphates, pyrethroids, neonicotinoids, and 2,4-D, these are all commonly used pesticides in the U.S. that are also linked to many negative health harms. All of those dropped within just six days of switching to an organic diet. Mm-hmm. And we tested those four families. We tested their urine every morning. And although the sample size is small, just 16 people, we have statistically significant results. And that's because we were able to test 158 urine samples wow. comparing the before and after. Yeah. I think this is so significant. And I I want to explain something because I'm not sure people really understand. We eat food 
and it's contaminated, say, with any number of pesticide residues. How does it get from our mouth? How do those pesticide residues get from our mouth to our urine? And in order for something to be excreted in the urine, it has to go through our bloodstream. So that glyphosate is being absorbed through our GI tract. It's getting into our blood. It's going through all of our vital organs. The end organ site, of course, would be the kidneys that serve to filter our blood and remove toxins. But by the time you've got a toxin in your urine, it has already coursed through your body, impacting organs in ways that I don't believe we fully understand. We need more research on the health harms of glyphosate and so many of the pesticides we're using. That said, glyphosate was flagged by the US EPA as a potential human carcinogen as far back as 1983. Yeah. And yet the EPA has done very little in the interim to adequately regulate this chemical. Right. Uh, the World Health Organization just a couple years ago reviewed all of the data and said, yes, indeed, glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen. Other epidemiological research has linked it to high rates of kidney disease in farming communities to shorten pregnancies of a cohort of women in the Midwest, in the U.S., and other research has linked it to endocrine disruption, DNA damage, Parkinson's, decreased sperm function, all sorts of things that we should be very concerned about. Mm -hmm. And that, in part, relates to that endocrine disruption piece. And the best way I like to explain endocrine disruption is that this is our hormone system, and very minute levels of hormones are biologically active in our bodies, so we would expect very minute levels of these pesticides to also be active in our bodies. And it's my understanding that the industry lobbied to have a higher level of allowance for residues in food. This wasn't a health organization approval. It was industry pressuring the organizations that are really set up to protect us that allowed a higher residue level in food. Correct. The Environmental Protection Agency sets what are called tolerance levels for what's the legal limit of pesticide residue allowed on food for any given pesticide. And the level on certain foods for glyphosate has been increased 300 times what was considered safe in the 1990s. And there are a whole set of internal company documents from Monsanto, which was the developer and main manufacturer of glyphosate until it was purchased by Bayer two years ago showing the industry influence, direct industry influence over EPA decision-making. So the problem is that we are not protected by the government agencies that should be looking out for our health, that are charged with making sure that the pesticide industry operates in a way that is safe for us and for the environment. And so really what we see is the pesticide industry is allowed to knowingly poison us for profit. In the U.S., we use 70 pesticides that are banned in the European Union. And in just the past few years, the EPA approved over 100 new pesticide products containing ingredients that were deemed to be highly hazardous. So people don't understand really how high the stakes are and 
how egregious the practices are that are standing in the way of our health. Exactly. I want to just piggyback everything you've said to another study that came across my desk. This was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine, Association of Frequency of Organic Food Consumption with Cancer Risk. And they found a significant reduction of risk when people choose organic food. And it really shouldn't be surprising when you consider that we use the word pesticide or herbicide, but we really should be using the word poison. And if we're going to spray our food with poison, we should expect that there will be effects in the human body. Certainly. The mechanisms that make pesticides toxic to other organisms can also make them toxic to us. And that study was very striking, the one you referred to. Not only did it find a 25% reduced risk of cancer overall for people who reported frequently eating organic food, it found a 76% lower rate of lymphomas and 34% fewer breast cancers postmenopausal. So that's really powerful data showing us that organic diets are protective of health. And a meta-analysis came out recently also showing other health benefits. So fewer incidences of infertility, diabetes, birth defects, allergies, and metabolic syndrome, which many of your listeners will know increases a person's risk for heart disease and stroke. So those are all serious health problems that we're facing that if we knew that we had a pill that could be protective, we would be promoting that to everybody. But we have an organic diet. We've got a growing set of farmers growing organic food who can provide that protection to people. And I think this is what really makes clear the problem with treating organic as if it's a shopping preference and not a public good. Mm -hmm. Really, we need to flip that script because we all have the right to organic food, to food that is not grown with toxic pesticides. And that's what Friends of the Earth is really dedicated to, working towards a food system where organic is for all. Right now, we have widespread and growing food insecurity. We have so many families that can't even feed their families' food daily, right? So it seems like such a stretch to be thinking about organic food, Mm -hmm. which we often think is sort of a niche, you know, for those who can afford it. But really, particularly now that we're all facing the threat of coronavirus, we need to be thinking about how we can all protect our health and really that it shouldn't be up to us to walk into a store and have the money in our pocketbooks to be able to choose the healthiest food. Right. So Friends of the Earth does a lot of really good policy work. So I really appreciate that arm of your nonprofit. But you've got a campaign right now to reach Kroger and to ask Kroger to have more organic foods available. Why did you pick Kroger? We have an ongoing campaign asking the largest 25 U.S. grocery retailers to decrease the use of toxic pesticides in their supply chains, and to expand organic offerings. And if you go to organicforall.org, you'll see there's a link to a petition specifically to Kroger, like you said. And Kroger is the largest traditional 
grocery store in the U.S. And people might know Kroger by other names like Food Lion or Ralph's. There are many, many states. And so that's why we picked Kroger as a public target. But we're actually in dialogue with about 10 of the largest food retailers around these asks. Because as we work towards changing policy, we know that that is an extremely slow process particularly right now, we can't make headway on changing federal policy to protect our health. Although I will say there's a brand new bill that was just introduced by Senator Udall that is the strongest reform of our pesticide policies that we've seen in a long time. So we're excited to be working with other organizations on that bill. And while we do that, we know that these really powerful market players grocery stores that make billions in profit can play a really important role in shifting our food system as well to be healthier, more sustainable, and more just. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also targeting USDA, I know USDA was looking to cut the organic cost share. So we what we want to do is we want to provide incentives for farmers to make that switch to organic And the cost share is so important, as well as more dollars going into organic research. So I think all of us as eaters and participants in a democracy really do have a responsibility to speak up for the kinds of policies that can help protect our health at the end of the day. Everything is connected. I was really curious about the study and how, just some little particulars, how did you recruit the families that you included in this? Yeah, and first let me say on that front, we can look to the European Union for leadership and some hope. Like, what would it look like if our government did prioritize decreasing pesticide use? The EU this summer announced plans to have pesticide use by 2030 and to expand organic agriculture to be at least 25% of acres. So that's forward-looking legislation and the sort that we sorely need here. And we do need people to understand that they need to stand up and fight for an organic food future for everybody. Mm-hmm. To get back to your point about choosing families, we reached out just through organizations that we knew on the ground in the regions that we were looking at. And those families are in Oakland, California, in Minneapolis, Baltimore, and Atlanta. So in Minneapolis, our project partner was Moses. It's a Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service that works with many organic farmers across the Midwest. In Baltimore, we partnered with Maryland Pesticide Education Network, and in Atlanta, we partnered with Georgia Organics. So all wonderful regional organizations that are working on sustainable food systems. And just by word of mouth and by reaching out to some elementary schools, we found families, we were looking for families that didn't typically eat organic food and that had young children who were interested in participating. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because as a final point, I just want to let our listeners know that we should never feel alone. You mentioned wonderful organizations in addition to Friends of the Earth that people all over the country can get involved with to make positive change. So unfortunately, our time is up, but I want to thank you so much for your work on this article and for doing the research and for explaining how our public health is deeply connected to our food. In closing, I need to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. 
Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Kendra Klein, Senior Staff Scientist at Friends of the Earth, a nonprofit that works to create a more healthy and just world with offices in both Washington, D.C. and Berkeley, California. I will provide a link to Organic for All as well as Friends of the Earth, that's F-O-E dot org, for people who want more information on this. Kendra, thank you so much for your time and your information. Thank you so much. 